Eastview Christian Church in Normal faces a long road to recovery amid claims of inappropriate sexual behavior and abuse. There's absolutely that loss of trust when these sort of misconduct cases happen, and they can lead to a loss of faith. That story coming up on WGLT's Sound Ideas. Good afternoon, I'm John Norton. On the show today, how churches deal with allegations against their leaders. The church in America will not survive in the form that we think of it unless they learn to deal with it. Plus, candidates for District 87 School Board explain why they want to serve. Being on the school board gives me a different perspective. I don't have a specific agenda other than to continue the work that's being done. We need people who are willing to serve. I love District 87. Those stories follow a Bloomington Normal News update, which is just ahead. This is WGLT Sound Ideas on 89.1 FM and WGLT.org, part of the NPR network. Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. Hear My Story continues with local patient Ryan Fuller and his mother Stephanie. She just put my mind at ease. She's like, hey, there's lots of kids that have hearing aids. It's so much different than what you remember and just really made me feel comfortable mom to mom. Ryan and Stephanie's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com. From the campus of Illinois State University in Normal, this is WGLT Sound Ideas. I'm John Norton. Allegations of ministerial impropriety, the resignation of the senior minister, and the announcement of an investigation into potential misconduct that has roiled Eastview Christian Church in Normal this week will have long-lasting consequences. WGLT's Charlie Schlenker reports the fallout affects more than Eastview. The scandal that includes new allegations has now spread to another megachurch in the Phoenix, Arizona area. Experts in churches that have experienced similar tribulation say there may even be impacts to other congregations in Bloomington Normal. The Board of Elders at Eastview has described it as an investigation into inappropriate sexual behavior, misconduct, and abuse dating back to 2016 when former Eastview lead pastor Mike Baker's adult son Caleb Baker left his ministerial job at Eastview. According to Central Christian Church in Arizona, Caleb Baker has now been fired from his position as lead student pastor and associate preaching pastor there amid allegations of sexual impropriety with another staff member. In a message to that congregation, lead pastor Cal Jernigan says he was aware of an allegation against Caleb Baker at Eastview, but Mike Baker assured him it had been unfounded. Jernigan says Mike Baker asked him to hire his son to give him a fresh start in a new community. And Jernigan says it's now blatantly obvious he didn't dig deep enough back then. Jernigan says he put too much trust in his friendship with Mike Baker and didn't put Caleb Baker through the normal interview process. In hindsight, Jernigan says he made the wrong call and will take full responsibility. Mike Baker resigned Saturday. He characterized his son's conduct only as infidelity. It's an important distinction for faith communities. The word abuse indicates a sexual impropriety by a church leader involving another member of the church. That's according to the Reverend Robert Creech. He's a retired professor of pastoral leadership at Baylor University's Truett Theological Seminary and the author of the book Ethics for Christian Ministry. Ministry, moral formation for 21st century leaders. There's always a power differential between the clergy and the congregate. That makes it different than if uh, a clergyman had an affair with someone outside the church, uh, just because there's not a, 
a power differential. New allegations of unwanted advances by Caleb Baker to Eastview staff members have surfaced, referenced both by Eastview elders and by Pastor Jernigan in Arizona. In the case of Eastview, there are also allegations of a cover-up, which Mike Baker has denied. Lauren Sawyer is an editor of the new edition of Responding to Spiritual Leader Misconduct, a handbook. It's put out by the Faith Trust Institute, a multi-faith, multicultural training organization. Whether it's nepotism or, or whether you have that sort of like inner circle of leadership, whether they're related or they're best friends or they just have a lot of power together, it makes it difficult for, for allegations to be taken seriously by other leadership. I'm not surprised that the father of of another pastor wouldn't necessarily fully take seriously the, the charges against his son. Sawyer says that can increase tensions among congregants. They'll pick sides. Many will side with the offending or alleged offending pastor or leader, believing, you know, their beloved leader could never do this. And scapegoat, any victim survivors, anybody who's standing up and saying like, no, this thing happened. And then you get the other side of people saying, no, we need to listen to the people who have been harmed. When sexual misconduct happens among ministers, it tends to surprise because those who commit it are expected to be people who hold upright values. Their role, in fact, is to help others live a good and moral life. Perhaps it shouldn't be a shock. It might be more accurate to say it's not uncommon, but uncommon to have it come to light. According to a 2008 nationwide study done by Diana Garland at the Baylor University School of Social Work, in the average American congregation of 400 congregants, there are on average 32 persons who've experienced clergy sexual misconduct in their community of faith. Garland writes, the statistics refute the commonly held belief that it's a case of a few charismatic and powerful leaders preying on vulnerable followers. Robert Creech of Baylor University Seminary suggests it will be hurtful for Eastview and any congregation that has such allegations of ministerial sexual misconduct. I think the people who are most wounded, I mean, they're sort of secondary victims in some way, are the other women in the congregation, and that's the ones who are still attending church. The level of trust between these congregants and their pastors bound to have been eroded by what's happened to them in the past, and they'll carry that with them the rest of their life. Over time, I think it's terribly wounding to, to congregations to have had that. Reverend Creech notes, some women who leave the affected church will leave church life altogether. Others may not fully engage or trust in any new congregation they join. Lauren Sawyer of the Faith Trust Institute says if that happens, it could sap the vitality of other churches in the Twin Cities. Historically, women have been the most involved in churches, even in the congregations that they can't actually like lead <laughs> as pastors. There's absolutely that loss of trust when these sort of misconduct cases happen and they can lead to a loss of faith, not even just, you know, in a specific community. I can't be a part of this tradition period that would let this happen. Eastview is huge. It claims to have average weekly attendance of about 5,500 people. The experts consulted for this story are not certain whether the size of the congregation affects the level of damage done. In smaller churches and in culturally homogenous faith communities, everyone may know and have a personal relationship with a besmirched minister. For those, the level of pain may be acute. 
In a larger church, that close relationship may not be present, but the flip side is there are many more congregants to take sides on a divisive issue and who may lose trust. Here's Reverend Creech. I mean, it's, if you got a five-pound rock and you throw it in Lake Erie, it's going to make a splash. You throw it in a mud puddle, it's going to make a splash. But, you know, it, it's going to be a different effect in the, the smaller one than in the larger one. The Board of Elders at Eastview has talked about transparency in announcing a third-party investigation. Yet a former staffer who ignited the investigation with a letter to Eastview Elders last year has in social media posts questioned the commitment to independence. She notes Mike Baker was on the investigation team until he resigned as it became clear the matter wouldn't go away. The former employee also notes the board urges anyone with allegations to let the elders know so they can forward the information to the investigator. The staffer expresses doubt whether an investigation can be truly independent if the elders are involved. The former worker says if the elders serve as a conduit, it could inhibit others from coming forward. Unitarian Universalist minister Gail Seavey has helped two congregations recover from misconduct scandals. The church in America will not survive in the form that we think of it unless they learn to deal with it. Seavey says transparency could be key to recovery and not just for Eastview. I've seen institutions change and thrive by changing. And I know that young people appreciate that honesty and authenticity and are more attracted to institutions that are honest about the fact that people have failed and that they are going to have strong ethical standards for their leadership. She also notes insurance companies today demand more structure and procedure, such as that third-party investigator Eastview has engaged. I have to say, uh, ministerial misconduct is, you know, just like a lot of abuse in the world, is a big insurance suck. Churches pay out a lot of money for that. And insurance companies don't like that. And it's got to be true for a big church that size. they got to have insurance. We're all covered up the wazoo as a minister for ministerial misconduct. That's part of the package. There is a tension, though, among the goals of instilling faith in the process through transparency, abiding by human resource rules to protect employees from potential unjustified reputational damage, and safeguarding the privacy and safety of victims. The knee-jerk reaction is to hide it. CV points out the Southern Baptist denomination is undergoing a crisis because hundreds of ministers with problems were let go from positions without publicly saying why, only to have them pop up at other churches and reoffend. That pattern may apply to Caleb Baker's transition from Eastview to Central Christian Church in Arizona. Well, we know that doesn't work anymore. The experts, including Lauren Sawyer of the Faith Trust Institute, agree the more transparent an institute can be about what's happening, the better it is for the long-term health of the organization. The congregation needs to know there's an investigation into misconduct, sexual relationship. They need to know that much. Often they need to be reassured that this didn't involve children. They need to know enough information to be able to feel safe in their community. They don't necessarily need to know the gory details of a case. Once the investigation is done at Eastview and results emerge, leaders there will turn to a different work, calming the trouble that has happened in finding balm. 
Lauren Sawyer says there's no foolproof way to heal a congregation. She says the Institute encourages communities to do some sort of service or ritual that feels true to their faith tradition. If music plays a huge role in that community, perhaps having a music-based service where there is space for testimony and truth-telling could happen. That transparency piece is huge and the truth-telling piece is huge, but how that is actually practiced within the community, I think needs to be very specific to that community. Um, for it to feel like genuine. Processing grief and loss, though, comes in stages and isn't linear. That includes the trauma of loss of a leader or leaders, loss of trust in an institution, or loss of the sense of a unified community because of the scandal. Like any other grief, healing needs to be repetitive and iterative, not a one-and-done, experts say. Taking stock of what has been lost happens over time, according to Robert Creech. We think, well, I've lost a father, but then you find out over the course of a year that I've lost the guy that calls me every two weeks to check on how I'm doing or who fixes my car when it's broken or who can give me advice about finances. You know, the, all the things you depend on your dad for, you don't lose them all at once. You lose those things as you realize to sort of take inventory of what you've lost. And Creech says with a congregation of 5,500 people, that's 5,500 sets of losses. Not everybody is the same. Creech says guiding the grief process can be done from the pulpit, it can be done in hallway conversations, and in more formal conversations with specific people. Unitarian Universalist minister Gail Seavey says historically churches haven't been good about giving survivors in particular pastoral care, supporting legal questions or even requests for changed laws, policies and ethics. A lot of institutions in the past wanted the survivors to disappear. Seavey says it's better if the survivors of misconduct can be held as a central part of recovery if they can be cared for and encouraged to stay. My experience was I found plenty of survivors who were willing to work hard to improve an institution. It's actually part of healing from trauma to want to make things better so that future people aren't hurt as bad. Those at Eastview may dread the coming investigation, but Gail Seavey, Robert Creech, and Lauren Sawyer all say the tougher job comes after that. I'm Charlie Schlinker. Climate change is making hurricanes more dangerous and is putting more properties at risk. Home buyers beware. Next time on Marketplace. Listen this afternoon at 5:30 on WGLT 89.1 FM. This is Sound Ideas on WGLT. I'm John Norton. Election season is in full swing, and WGLT's Lauren Warnicke sat down with each of the candidates running for the District 87 school board. Three seats on District 87's school board are up for grabs, with candidates Mark Wiley, Valeda Harvey, Kathy Lust, and Courtney Turnbull vying for votes in the April 4th consolidated election. James Almeida has not sought re-election, leaving three open spots. First-time candidates Kathy Lust and Courtney Turnbull are both former employees of District 87. Wiley and Harvey are running to maintain their current seats. Harvey is a Bloomington native and District 87 alum. She moved back home from California with her three children who attended District 87 schools, and she is currently a paralegal at the law firm of Pioletti, Pioletti, and Nichols. Harvey was appointed to the school board in June 2022, filling Tammy Houtzel's seat. Houtzel resigned after moving out of the district. Being on the school board gives me a different perspective on the issues, and I think still being very present as a parent 
gives me the perspective of knowing what needs to be addressed. Harvey says the positive culture on the school board motivated her to run for another term. We work well as a board, as a team. Um, we have similar vision for our district. Ultimately, we all want the best for our children. No one has an agenda or ulterior motives. Kathy Lust is a parent, Bloomington High School graduate, and retired school psychologist. Most of her career was spent in District 87 schools. I don't have a specific agenda other than to continue the work that's being done, um, making sure that su supports and resources are uh, provided uh, for the students and staff. Lust worked as a substitute teacher when students returned to hybrid instruction during the pandemic. And since I was in the building, you know, just saw the care everybody was taking, trying to be cautious and just wanting everybody to be safe and um, and feeling good about being in school. So and then watching the board navigate all that went along with that. I just uh, kind of started thinking about wanting to be a part of that uh, group that kind of always made good decisions, you know, for the right reasons and, and for the good of the community and the kids. Courtney Turnbull came to Bloomington Normal from the Chicago suburbs to attend Illinois State University and decided to stay. She and her husband have three children, one currently enrolled in District 87 and two in college. Turnbull now works in internal event planning and student engagement at Illinois Wesleyan University. When I changed positions, I just really felt the need to give back to District 87 and to give back to the community. Turnbull is involved with the girls' tennis team and has volunteered with the Boosters and PTO. I love District 87. I want people to see what a great school district it is and help them continue to be a great school district. Incumbent President Mark Wiley has served two consecutive four-year terms. Born and raised in Bloomington, Wiley and his five children attended District 87 schools. My parents set the tone for me. My parents were both very active in the community. My father served as the city engineer for the town of Normal for 30 years at his position at Farnsworth and Wiley. So I saw what he helped accomplish in Normal's growth. Obviously, we're in Bloomington, but I could see the difference that was made there. Um, I saw the, how important it was to be involved with community activities overall. Wiley has additionally served on the Boy Scouts of America Council, Kiwanis, and at his church. He was on the facilities committee prior to becoming president of the school board, which oversaw improvements like adding a fine arts building to Bloomington High School and upgrading the football field with durable turf for multi-use. Wiley says being a foster parent is part of what inspired him to join the school board. Seeing how important education could be for kids who maybe have had it a little bit tougher than our own children uh, woke me up in some ways that, wow, we need people who are willing to serve. This is Sound Ideas. I'm Lauren Warnicke. A major accomplishment of the current board has been to select Superintendent David Mauser, whose four-year contract was approved in December 2021. Wiley, as president, oversaw the transition when Superintendent Barry Riley retired after 12 years in that role. That sets the tone for the whole district. Mauser was already in the district's top job when Harvey was appointed to the school board. He was very patient, very understanding, 
very, very sympathetic to me as a new school board member and, and patient, so I really appreciated that. And he always has an open door policy if I have any questions, small or large. School districts nationwide face teacher and staff shortages. All candidates list recruitment and retention as a high priority in the next term. Turnbull says job satisfaction is the best advertisement for District 87 schools. We, we support our teachers, we support our staff, we support our students. Like, I would love for that to be the reputation that District 87 has. The reality, Turnbull says, is that there is work to do toward that goal. To be honest, after stepping, because I have been outside of the school now for two years, mm-hmm. and I was there during COVID, but not last year's COVID. And so I know, I know teacher job satisfaction, staff job satisfaction, and and I just don't think it's a unique perspective to education. I think a lot of workplaces are definitely dealing with um, staff retention and staff's, you know, job satisfaction. I, I mean, I think, yeah, there's work to do. Wiley says bolstering relationships with area universities will help fill vacancies, while Harvey suggests looking outside McLean County. What does it look like for a teacher to want to migrate to District 87 from Southern Illinois or the Chicago area or even California? What would a teacher look for if they wanted to find somewhere else where there's a great community where they can engage with students and make a difference? Courtney Turnbull says student behavior and accountability is a challenge she noticed while working at District 87. Setting healthy boundaries for students, but also being sensitive and respectful of the past couple years and trauma and just disrupted learning. So just trying to help navigate those fields, I really think is crucial because if you have a learning environment that runs smoother, I think that will just benefit everybody. One of Valeda Harvey's goals is to update the school's curriculum. Uh, it's not, it doesn't have to still be the same curriculum it was 10, 20, even 30 years ago when we think about our classes, but being conscious of the fact that we have to stay within the parameters of a budget, right? We have to think smarter because we all are smaller. Each candidate believes parents should work with teachers, the board, and the administration to stay involved in their children's educations. I believe if anybody wants to look at curriculums, they can do that. Kathy Lust. If they want to make arrangements to observe in classrooms, they can do that. Schedule meetings with whoever they need to. I just have always felt like the district was always open to that. Mark Wiley encourages parents to go through proper channels and avoid jumping to conclusions about what goes on in the classroom. First things first, talk to the teacher about it. Look at the book. Do not assume one way or the other what is being taught without doing your own homework. And therefore, then, yes, they can be very involved in that regard. That was Mark Wiley, Valeda Harvey, Kathy Lust, and Courtney Turnbull, candidates for District 87 School Board. Early voting is underway, and the general election is April 4th. I'm Lauren Warnicke. District 87 also accepting applications for an open board seat following the resignation of Fitzgerald Samdi. The district will take applications through April 7th. The appointment would be for two years. 
And that's Sound Ideas today. WGLT's news magazine made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm John Norton with story help today from WGLT's Charlie Schlenker and Lauren Warnicke. The show produced by Samantha Hill. This is 89.1 FM, WGLT and WGLT.org. Bloomington Normal's public media, part of the NPR network. Thank you.